Well, this morning we conclude our sermon series, Church 101, where we've looked at what is a church and how do we function. In the past two weeks, uh, we looked specifically at our church with our uh, purpose statement, then our values, and today our vision statement. Now, vision as we would consider it as a church, is our best understanding of God's preferred future for our church. There's no blank on your outline for that, but you can write that down. Our best understanding of God's preferred future for our church. Not our preferred future, but what would God have for us if we would surrender ourselves and be the individuals he would have us to be in order that as a body we would be the church he'd have us to be. Sometimes we see vision more clearly than others. A story is told of a little girl who was talking to her teacher about whales. The teacher said that it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human being. Well, this little girl had been to church, and she said, well, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher was irritated and reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human being. The little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll meet Jonah and I'll find out. The teacher replies, well, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl says, you can ask him when you go there. (laughs) That little girl had a pretty clear vision for the future of where she was going to be and where her teacher were going to be, and they were not going to be in the same place. Now... A vision for our lives is much more expansive than a little girl and her teacher in an argument over humans and whales. But you get the picture that we have this idea of who we will be and what we will do and how we will get there, and that's vision. So often we live our lives and we just do day-to-day stuff. We don't think about what we're becoming or how we're spending our life and time. So every now and then we have to pull aside and we have to say, okay, time out. Let's consider why we're doing what we're doing, purpose, what we're doing, values, and how we're doing it in order that we might become something greater than we are right now. I use that uh, illustration of an Olympic athlete that you could hope to be an Olympic athlete and you could be gifted physically where you might become an Olympic athlete, but unless you put in the time, effort, sacrifice, training, blood, sweat, and tears, and everything else for year after year after year, you're not going to attain to that level. You just won't get there. You've got to work and you've got to have an intentional plan. Now, on your sermon outline this morning, you've got uh, in the outline in your yellow thing, uh, down at the bottom, you have our vision statement. But also, I told the ladies in the office, Becky and Sam, I said, we need to give this to people. Because yes, they can find it on our website, but this white sheet of paper is our newly adopted directional principles. So you've got your purpose statement at the top, then your five values, and then on the back side, our vision, that we are a church of growing Christ followers who will build a legacy for God by worshiping Him through serving others and sharing the gospel, that our personal relationships with Jesus and one another transform our lives and change our direction. Friends, these are some weighty themes here. You're talking about legacy, 
This is what you will be known for in your life, but most importantly, when you die, how are people going to remember you? What did you do that made a lasting impact? Serving and sharing the gospel. And that our personal relationships that have to be intentional in spending time with Jesus and in spending time with others in order that we might be transformed. That's not just any kind of change. Transformation is wholesale. So it's... That's our vision. If that's the yardstick that we're measuring ourselves against, we have to say, so how are we doing? If that's what we believe God has called us to become, this church that transforms lives and changes directions and builds a legacy, legacy through sharing the gospel and serving others, how are we doing? When you look at statistics, they can tell you something. We can look around our church and look at our statistics, and over the last eight years, since 2009, our attendance has been, on average in worship, between 220 and 240. Just kind of goes like this. We end the year in there. Our giving has been around 400,000, sometimes more, never less, As Don Witt, our financial secretary, has pointed out, we always have everything we need financially. You guys give, and God provides for us. But as Silvana pointed out to us, we've got a responsibility to give, not based on what the church needs, but on obedience to God and what he calls us to. How much more could our church do if everybody tithed? And so our Attendance numbers are basically plateaued as a church. Our giving numbers are basically plateaued as a church. And we have to say, so is there anything wrong with us? I mean, it's not that we have any conflict, which is great. I'm not trying to stir up conflict at all. It's not that we're terribly sick, but maybe that we're not as healthy as we would like to be that we don't have the vibrancy that we would hope. And yes, we see that in certain programs, and we see that in certain people, and some of us one month and the others the next month as we go through the normal ups and downs of life and so on. And so there's this other tool we use, the Natural Church Development Survey, that three times since I've been your pastor, we've applied that to this church, and now we're going to do it annually. And let me just tell you about the last two times. In April of 20, um, whatever year that was, three and a half years ago, uh, four and a half years ago, when right after Pastor Sean left, 2014, we took that survey and our average score was 57. We were above average in health. And then last year, just about the time Pastor Matthew was leaving, so it wasn't coincidental that we were taking it when pastors were leaving us, it just happened that way, our average score was 40, not even healthy. And then we saw of the eight different factors or major areas that they test for in this natural church development survey that 30 people uh, specifically chosen around our congregation because of their age and how they're involved and all so on and so forth took this survey that there were these eight different domains, needs, oriented evangelism, evangelism, holistic small groups, passionate spirituality, gift-based ministry, loving relationships, and inspiring worship, those six But then our lowest scores were in effective structures and empowering leadership. I talked to you guys about these things back in January, seven months ago, but not all of you were here. So I'm recapping them now. We looked at, as a ministry leadership team, those two lowest scores. 
And we said, if our church is going to be more healthy, we've got to do something about these. And the great thing about this Natural Church Development Survey is we took it. Nobody said, you guys are bad at this. We're the ones that said we're bad at this. And the great thing is, furthermore, that the people that develop the survey don't say, here's 20 things you can do to fix it, but they ask you 20 questions, and you say, hmm, have we considered this? Have we considered that? And as we considered effective structures and empowering leadership, our ministry leadership team, so that's made up of all the leaders of different ministries, said, we maybe ought to consider changing our structure administratively changing our structure so that we can do a better job at administering the church and communicating things in the church in hopes that those changes will buoy our church health. And as we're healthier as an organization, then we can sustain the growth we have and see what God will do. So out of that comes this idea of our bylaws. In two weeks from today, we'll have a church family meeting in which uh, all of us have the opportunity to vote on our proposed new bylaws. If you want to see what those are, there's a church family meeting packet with a blue cover on it back in the narthex available for your taking. And you can read through those bylaws and see that coming from our June church family meeting, what we agreed would be the changes that are in bold and italic print in that uh, proposed copy there. And we'll vote on that two weeks from now. Why? Because we've got to begin to do some things differently in order that we will be this church we see in the vision. It's building a legacy. It's worshiping through serving and sharing. Because our personal relationships are transforming our lives and changing our directions. What has God called us to become? As a church, we might actually change that word and say, who has God called us to become? Let's look at our scripture memory verse for the month. This is the last Sunday of the month, and I hope that you all take these seriously and don't read them here, but you take time to memorize it because this one is worthy of your memory. Let's stay it together. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Pray with me. Father in heaven, when we consider the reality of our church as an organization, and we know we love each other, and we enjoy each other, and we welcome guests, and we spend time together. But we look around and we say, maybe we're not everything you've called us to be. Maybe there's things we need to do differently as an organization and as individuals. It's dangerous for us to consider these things unsettling. We just as soon shoot the messenger or turn a blind eye. But that's exactly what the devil would have us do. Not to consider who you've called us to be. Not to consider how you've called us to surrender and serve. And not to consider our part in it. Rather than looking at all the other people and saying, well, if this guy did that or that lady did that. God, would you speak to us today? Would we listen humbly today and surrender fully? 
We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. The first point on your outline, friends, is for us to consider our purpose. Now, uh, that's on your white sheet there at the top. You know, our purpose is to grow Christ's followers. If you look at our logo, it puts it in an active tense, growing Christ's followers. That is our purpose. And two weeks ago, we talked about the me and the we. That we could identify myself as a noun, that I am a growing Christ follower. But then we could say our action is to grow Christ followers. So the me is who I am in Christ. The we is how I work to help others grow in Christ. So we considered those two weeks ago. And you could go back and listen to that sermon. And you see at the bottom of your sermon outlines, it says we're on iTunes. uh, Or you can go to our website and Click the podcast link and it'll, they're stored there as well. But your first question asks, what must I change to grow in Christ? What must I change to grow in Christ? I ask these questions and I put them in this handwriting font so that we can see this isn't about your neighbor. This is about you. This isn't us pointing fingers at somebody else saying, as I said in my prayer, that guy needs to do something different or that lady needs to do something different. Yes, uh, there may be application elsewhere, but let's be honest with ourselves. What do we need to change to grow in Christ? So it begs the question, are you growing already? Can you say that today that you know more about Jesus and look more like Jesus, behave more like Jesus than you did a year ago? Are you at a, you know, took one step forward, two steps back sort of thing? Healthy things grow. And if you're going to grow in Christ, what do you need to change? What is it that you need to turn off? What is it that you need to give up? Where do you need to spend your time, your energy, your passion differently? So your next question asks, how can I assist others to grow in Christ? How can I assist others? So it's the me and the we of our purpose. That I am a growing Christ follower and I am doing things to help others grow in Christ. You would say, well, I I come to church. uh, I participate in Sunday school. I serve in this ministry. I seek to uh, encourage other Christ followers I know in my life and certainly my family. You're already doing good things to help people grow in Christ. So it may just be you need to say, okay, God, is there anything I need to do differently? Anything I need to fine tune? There's some of us, because of our stage in life, because of our calling, because uh, of our surrender to our calling, are more active in helping others grow in Christ than others. I mean, there are certain people around here that they have a full-time job doing one thing, but you look at how they spend their life outside their full-time job, and you go, wow, where do they find all the time? Well, they've chosen to give their time to that based on their station in life and their calling. And maybe that needs to be you, that you would do things differently in order to help others grow. There's always needs for volunteers around here. And if you were to say, hey, pastor, I don't know where to serve. My first question is going to be, have you taken a shape survey? That we know your spiritual gifts, your hearts, your ability, your personality, your experience, the S-H-A-P-E, your shape. And then, when we look at that, we could say, where is it you might fit that you're not serving already? Or is it that you're in a place that's not the best fit for you? So, when we consider our purpose. Second on your outline is considering our values. Considering our values. And so, you have them listed for you there on your white sheet. And you see on the front side of it, we've got Bible engagement. That we know 
You spending time in God's word, listening to it and reading it is the number one factor that's going to change you to be more like Jesus. It's at the top of the list. That's a hallmark for our church. A worshipful lifestyle, number two, is knowing that it's not just what happens on Sunday morning, but how you live your life day to day, serving others, sharing the gospel with others. That's a worshipful lifestyle. This is just the icing on the cake right here, friends. Number three is intentional relationships. Very intentionally pointing out that you've got to take time to spend time with others in order that they might grow like Christ. And you would too, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the other. Number four on the backside is gifted service. All of us have been given unique talents, gifts, and abilities. How are we going to use them to serve God's kingdom? And the final one, gospel sharing. That we've got to share the gospel in word and in deed. But you can share it indeed all day long, but unless you give a actual verbal, here's how you get saved, and can I invite you to do that, you hadn't carried the ball the whole way over the goal line. So of those five values, Bible engagement, worshipful lifestyle, intentional relationships, gifted service, gospel sharing, which value is most natural for me? If you were just to look, those are our five church values, so they're not individual values to you. I understand that. But which of those is most natural for you? Which comes easiest for you? There's going to be a few of you that says, man, I just can't live without sharing the gospel. And maybe that might not have used to be you, but you've gotten involved in an obedience-based discipleship program like Mark Pomeroy or Bob Rung or others do, and you just share the gospel all the time, and it's crazy to see what God's doing in your life. There's some of you that relationships is it, man. If you can't be in relationship with other people, it's like you can't breathe, and you just live for spending time with others. Some, it's Bible engagement. We love to learn. We love to teach. We love to study. We can't keep our mouth quiet with what we learn from the Bible. What is it for you? Then your second question there is, how can God grow that value in me? That second question I'm basing off this idea that if maybe God's gifted you in that way, that you have a spiritual gift that means that that value, that's a value for our church, uh, is more natural for you. And therefore, God wants to grow and develop that gift in you, to make it stronger in you. And so that's the question where you have to say, okay, is this something God's called me to do, how I'm gifted? And if so, what do I need to do differently? If the value that feels most natural to me is worshipful lifestyle... How can I live my life more worshipfully? That I realize that everything I do is sacred unto God and that I don't keep this little closet or this little living room in the home of my life and say, oh God, you can go anywhere but not there. But that I give everything to God. How can I do that as I consider my values? So friends, uh, I've talked at us for a, a bit now. Uh, This sermon was going to be a little bit differently uh, that way. Two weeks from today, I'm excited we start a new uh, expository sermon series where we're going to go through the Old Testament prophetic book of Zechariah, and we're going to learn about being God's people, and we'll go verse by verse, word by word for like 10 weeks. It'll be totally cool. But today, we've got a short look at Scripture because of the type sermon we have, and that's the example of Abraham.
Now, if you're looking at your outline there and you go Genesis 12 through 25, what chapter, Pastor? Uh, I'm talking all chapters, okay? 13 chapters. So um, you're thinking, whoo, Pastor Aaron, I didn't pack a lunch. I'm not ready to hear an expository sermon on 13 chapters of Genesis. Breathe a sigh of relief. You're not gonna, okay? Look at the text of Hebrews 11. If you hadn't already, turn in your Bibles there to Hebrews 11, chapter 8 through 12. Hebrews 11, chapter 8 through 12 is uh, less than the Cliff Notes version of Abraham's life. It's more like the thumbnail, okay? It's a quick sketch. It's like the tweets of Abraham's life, 140 characters or less of what happened in Abraham's life that is noteworthy to us. And I think there's a few things we can learn from Abraham's life, and I would attach one to each verse. And so somewhere on your outline there, you can just write, you know, verse 8, then verse 9, and, and I'll give those to you. They're not going to be on your screen. You, you just can't have to write them down because you listen that well and you're that smart, Okay? Okay? All right, you guys, you're just going to have to write them down because you listen that well and you're that smart, all right? All right, let's see if you're awake. All right, let's read it. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he had considered Him who made the promise. In verse 12. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand of the seashore. Let's talk about what that means. Verse 8. By faith, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, he obeyed and went. Verse 8 tells us about Abraham's faith. So just write down his faith. Verse 8, his faith. This is before the days of Google, before the days of the Internet, before the days of the printing press where, you know, you could say, hey, I'm going to go on vacation there. And you call them up on the telephone and, you know, you get them to send you their vacation guide or something like that. This is before all that that God called actually Abraham's father to begin the journey, but Abraham took it up and went from there. He went to a land he did not know, his faith. There's some of us, when we consider our purpose, our values, our vision, and where God's called us to go, God's called us to a land we don't know. It might be a church we don't know. We need to join the church It might be a ministry we don't know. We got this feeling that we should do it, but we don't know how it's going to work out. That there's a future that God has for us that's greater than we can imagine, and it's by faith. So the first thing you write down there about verse 8 is faith. 
Verse 9 is his example. Verse 9 is his example. Look at what it says there. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. So Abraham not only went himself, but he took his family with him, and then they learned from him. They said, dude, if this is the life dad is going to live committed to God, then this is the one true God we can see by dad's faith and the way that God has blessed dad. We got to do this too, and so on and so forth and so on. And in our lives, we see that example. One of the blessings of our church is that we are a church of families, I love when we have children in our worship service. And yes, they might make some noise and mom and dad might have to take them out. But boys and girls hearing God's word, boys and girls singing with us, boys and girls sitting in the pews with their mom and dad. And it's even better when we have grandparents and great-grandparents. Can I get a wave from Barbara Bob over there? Barbara Bob, he's, he couldn't hear me. That's a great-grandpa sitting over there. You know, and he's got four generations here. And if you're a great-grandparent and you've got kids here, forgive me that I didn't know. But it's neat to see that in one worship center, in one worship service on a Sunday morning. How cool is that? The example that is set following Abraham. Verse 10. I love verse 10. Verse 10 is his perspective. Write down his perspective. Why did Abraham go? Why did Abraham give up his comfortable life wherever he was lived and go off and live in tents and stuff? What was it? For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. It's not talking about a city that he would live in physically. It's talking about heaven. He knew that his eternal address was more important than his temporal earthly address. So he was ready to go wherever God called him to go. Abraham was living, write this down, with an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. An eternal perspective is living this life in light of the life to come. This life in light of the life to come. That because you see that there's something greater in heaven, your priorities in this life are different. And you choose to live differently today because you know what's coming tomorrow. Sylvanas' testimony about tithing summed that up for us. That because of God's command to tithe, and because that she knows that there's things that are more important than the way that she would spend that money, she has chosen to tithe for decades now, if I would imagine, right, Miss Silvana? And God has continued to bless her and our church through her and her leadership and example to us. And she's just one of you that supports our church through tithing of your time, your talents, and your treasures. His perspective made all the difference. And friends, for some of us, it's that perspective, an eternal perspective, a perspective of what we might be, of the legacy we might leave, that we need to drive us to change our life. Verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past his age and Sarah was barren, was enabled to become a father because he was considered, he God considered him faithful to the promise he had made. I would call that his promise. His promise. That God said, you're going to be this father of nations. And he gave him Isaac. And there's that whole story that's amazing. And you've got to read it. Go back to Genesis chapter 22. And that promise that Abraham received that had to have just floored him. Have you got spiritual markers in your life where you can look back and you can say, I needed God to show up here, and man, he did. 
I hope that you do. And if you haven't written a journal of those things, you need to do that today. I've told you that from this pulpit before. To consider how God has worked in your path because that will help show you where he's leading you in your future as you put out your spiritual markers. Because look, verse 12, your fifth and final point about Abraham here is his impact. His impact. I'm going to read it from the Holman Christian Standard. It says it this way. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as numerable as the grains of the sand of the seashore. He was a grandpa by our terms. He was a geezer. He was old. But God blessed him. And he had a son and his wife who was past that stage bore that son for him. And it was amazing what God did for him as his child of promise that he would be. But his impact was because he believed God. I'm not going to quote it for you, but uh, if you've got an electronic Bible and you can go read, read the message translation of uh, Hebrews eleven twelve. 12. Um, be careful that you're going to snicker at the way that it writes it about how old Abraham was. What God did in the life of one faithful man founded a nation that we know today. The Jewish people. The political nation of Israel today. But through that nation, not Israel, the Jewish people, there's Jesus, the Savior of the entire world. So one day at a time, day after day, step after step, along the way, traveling as Abraham did, he became the father of a nation. Now, don't get, you know, discouraged here and say, well, God's not going to use me to be the father or the mother of a nation or some great movement or some great organization. With an attitude like that, he sure isn't. What has God called you to be? God's preferred vision, future for your life. What has God called you to be? Not what do you imagine you can be. So let's consider our vision in closing. We are a church of growing Christ followers who build a legacy. A legacy that glorifies God. In John 15, 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove you are my disciples. The way we live our lives that bears fruit and proves that we are his disciples, a legacy. And it goes on, For by worshiping him through serving others and sharing the gospel, we have got to live our life in such a way that we serve others and share the gospel to build a legacy. Our personal relationships with Jesus and one another are transformative in our lives. It's easy to just be friendly and exist with one another, but every now and then we need to challenge one another. We need to call one another to something we are not yet. We need to coach one another. Sometimes we need to kick one another in the pants. I don't know about you, but I feel like I got one superpower. If I, was, if I was a superhero, my one superpower would be this. It would be taking one mistake and making it repeatedly. I mean, it takes me a while to learn things. I'm a little bit hard-headed, a little bit stubborn, a little bit slow. Some of us feel that way as well. 
And that's where we need to surrender that to Jesus and say, okay, I want to live a life that's different, that builds a legacy, that I'm transformed, that I'm changed, and I help others to be transformed and changed. Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go with them, well with them and with their descendants forever. So take a few minutes to consider your life. I hope you didn't put up your outline yet because you've got two final statements that have an ellipsis at them, you know, the three little dots, for you to take a few minutes and consider. And I'm going to ask the praise team to come and uh, prepare to lead us as you look at your sermon outline there. It says, God, transform me, this and me. This is what you know needs to change in order for you to be more like Jesus, in order that you might become the vision that you believe he's called you to be in our church to be. And then turn it into a prayer. I pray my legacy will be. What is it that you are going to do because of who you have become that will make your life different? Let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we consider subject matter like this and we have to admit it is a bit weighty and burdensome. It's easy just to ignore it and say, well, that was a stinky sermon. But Father, help us to consider the content and the truth of who you've called us to be. And how we need to live, what we need to change, what we need to surrender. Where we need new obedience, where we need fresh faith, where we need courage. To do what you've called us to do, that we might become who you've called us to become. As individuals and as a church. So Father, this morning, if there's anybody here that needs to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, they know that they're a sinner and their sins have condemned them to hell. Would they ask that forgiveness today and share it with us in order that we might celebrate with them as they've committed their life to Jesus? If there's anyone here that needs to unite with this church family today and say, yeah, God's called me here to help build this legacy of what Southview will become. They do that. Anyone that needs to surrender their life to some storm of Christian service or to say, I'll go, I'll do. Would they do that today? God, keep us. Keep us committed to you. That we might not just walk out of this place without making a commitment as you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.